I had to go back to the pro shop to get it back to where it belonged. But but sometimes it's just because I don't have really have a checklist on what what am I trying to do here? You know, I watch one you one YouTube video and I think I'm going to go change the world. And all I really did was make it so uh, my my arrow has to go back to the pro shop and need to pay the guy thirty bucks to get it back in tune. And he's like, "What the heck did you do to this thing?" Rockcast is powered by Onyx Hunt, and for good reason. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app in the industry. Stay tuned for a Rockcast promo code. Good morning, Rock Sliders. Today, we're going to be talking about archery and engineering. Yep, we're going to geek out on all that. As of this morning, the Rock Slide moderators, Sam Howard and Travis, have qualified 99 shooters in the Cold Bow Challenge. Uh, that means only one more to go. We're just waiting for one guy to finish up his fifth arrow. Staying with that theme of archery accuracy, today's guest shot the 2021 and the 2022 Cold Bow Challenge at 100 yards in weather from sunny to a few feet of snow and wind. He went 10 for 10 with broadheads on vital size uh, of an elk. That's just incredible. 10 for 10 on an elk size vital. We're talking about Bill Vander Hayden of Colorado. He's a mechanical engineer, founder, owner, and chief engineer of Iron Will Outfitters. But we call him archery nerd extraordinaire as he's an engineer focused completely on bow hunting. This benefits us all as he's brought high quality, durable, accurate archery components to the market. Good morning, Bill. Hey, good morning, Robbie. Thanks for having me on. You bet. Thanks for getting up early and getting this rolling. Uh, for our listeners, I've shot Iron Will since the first year that you came on Rockslide. I don't know if that was the year you founded the company, but that must have been about, what, 16, 17? Does that sound right? I think 17, probably. I mean, we founded the company in 16, but really kind of launched the product in January 17. And yeah, I think Rockslide was the first, really the first um, people we reached out to and, and um kind of wanted to work with so yeah i think it was 2017 well hey well we appreciate it but you know like like every time we bring on a sponsor we we, we just run their gear and 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 let it speak for itself and get the member feedback and it didn't take very long uh just a few months of members shooting the iron wheel broadheads to figure out the, these are high quality components and uh, very durable uh back in 2000 i think it was 18 uh, I was doing a 500 arrow test for the Matrix target when Matrix first came out. And what the goal was, was to, to shoot into one module on, uh, on, a, on a hex target, a Matrix hex target, and see how many arrows it would take with a broadhead before they poked out the back. So it turned into a 500 test. We didn't really know how many it would take. And it, it took me all summer. Like I, I would always have a, a broadhead in my rotation, in my quiver. I always tune my bow, uh, usually with some help in my pro shop, because I'm not that good at it, to get my bow shooting with my field points. So when I when I go out and shoot, I can shoot my field points and my broadheads. And, and I was shooting my field points at my bag target. And then every rotation i would fire one into the matrix and i kept track of it on a little counter and we actually hit 
it was a little more than 500. I called it a 500 arrow test just because it was uh, easier than saying, you know, 523 or whatever it came out to be. And before that first uh, broadhead poked out the back of the target. And then it kept going too, by the way, it wasn't like, you know, that it was, it was the end of the tar end of the module, but that the reason I'm telling you all that, that was with a matrix of, excuse me, with a iron wheel vented 100 grain broadhead. It was on a gold tip kinetic pierce, uh, their 0.23 diameter, uh, the same broadhead for the whole test. Now, um, you know, I grew up pretty poor. You know, I was the guy down at the uh, archery shop on uh, uh, clean out the closet day, buying whatever broadheads were on the table that were, you know, marked down to 999. You know, I've shot inexpensive broadheads for years and i just kind of always kept it in my mind as well as long as as long as i only shoot it once at an animal it, it, it's going to do what i want it to do but i, I learned if i if I practice with these lower quality broadheads, I mean, you, you just mess them up. I mean, even, even hit shooting into a target, you just mess them up, you know, pretty soon they're, they're not spinning true after that test with that matrix bill. Uh, I don't know if I've even ever told you this, but that, that iron wheel broadhead was, you could still have hunted with it. You might've needed to, you know, touch it up a little bit on sharpness, but it never bent. It, that arrow would still spin true. And so that's when I thought, Hey, you know, it's, it's worth forking out the extra dough for these high quality broadheads. Yeah. It's a different, it's a different mindset and I didn't have it either. You know, I, I always kind of, and, and I've, I've bull hunted with, you know, cheap heads for years. I was, a you know, I was a poor college student, um, even before that in high school, just, you know, um buying the cheapest stuff and you know broadheads to me were single use too and i think this isn't this is not a single use head and if you think about it that way it's actually going to save you money because you can you can use it over and over and like you said um these cheaper heads you shoot them into into just a foam target or say a, a 3d target with some hard spots um and you're you're often putting a little bend in the ferrules or if you say have cheaper components half outs especially aluminum but even the steel um, just shoot them over and over into you know harder spots on a 3d target and you start bending things a little bit and then you put a broadhead on the front and it's not going to fly well so yeah this is, is definitely a, a multi-use in fact i often like i was just a hog hunt down in texas i was using the same you know arrow broadhead over and over i just check sharpness and knock it back up and you know shoot through another hog um and then you know just check the sharpness and touch up as needed, but you can definitely get multiple animals with the same broadhead. Um, well, the, the other thing I think it helped me with is I would, when I was using cheaper broadheads, you know, the 10 to $15 type broadhead or, or cheaper, if I got them on sale was that I would, I would get them shooting with my field points, but then I would only practice with field points because I didn't want to screw up my broadheads. And I thought, Hey, you know, close enough. They, they hit together, but, what I learned, and I'm not a great archery shot, you'll never hear me claim that, uh, is that broadheads magnify your 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 error in your form and in your shooting, especially at distance. And so I always thought I was a better shot with field points than I actually was. And then when I started shooting a higher quality broadhead, I could actually practice with it made me a better shot because it, it made me work on my form more because, you know, 
no offense, Bill, but uh, any broadhead, it doesn't matter how well it's designed, is is going to magnify error in your form. You know, you've got a blade out there. It's 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 going to plane if you're if you're if you're if you're not shooting well. At least, but that's been my experience. And uh, so by shooting a broadhead in my rotation every single time, I can always practice with broadheads now. It it made me a better shot. Yeah, definitely, it does. It's gonna. Like you said, amplify any any errors, uh, anything that's making that arrow not come straight off your bow. Whether it's the tuning of your bow that might have the arrow coming, you know, tail right, tail left, tail up, tail down, um, or just your form. If you grab the grip and torque the bow a little bit and make that arrow go a little bit sideways, is coming off. Um, or if or if you're underspined um, and you've got this excessive flexing of the arrow up or down, all those things are gonna make it so that um you know as the airflow goes across the broadhead and if it's not going straight but it's tipped a little bit there's going to be this pressure difference across it and it's going to want to push it off um you know right left up or down and so that's why all those things are more important with a broadhead you know bow tuning proper spine good form but you're right it will amplify it and i shoot a lot at 100 yards with field points and broadheads and man that really amplifies any anything that's wrong out there but i can also tell you that with properly spined um arrow properly tuned bow um you know decent form um and the right veins on the back broadheads can hit with field points well at that distance um so it's it's something you can definitely achieve but it's it makes it uh, more difficult than field points yeah but it gets you out there practicing with your hunting equipment. And I mean, that's kind of the whole theme of the cold bow challenge. That's why we don't allow target bows in it and all that other stuff. It's, you know, take take what you're going to hunt with and go out and test it. There's no better way to figure out what your capabilities are than, than doing that. That's why we give extra points in the cold bow for shooting broadheads. We double people's points for that reason right there, because we want them to realize that, you know, you're pounding the bag all summer with field points. And even if you think they hit together, you're not shooting as well as you think you are in, until you start practicing with broadheads because it will magnify your errors. And uh, and even if your bow is perfectly tuned, you know, if you, you talked about torquing your grip, you know, that was something that took me years to get over. It's one of the first things I look at when I pull my bow is my uh, sight picture through my peep um, because, you know, we, we all are supposed to center our our side and our peep, but that's where the first place I notice if I'm torquing my grip is that that circle will move just a little bit left or right. So that's that. And then that affects my broadhead flight. You know, as soon as that broadhead comes off, it's not, it's not come straight off of the bow where the arrow before when I centered the housing, uh, it was. And so all that, all that stuff is just like high level archery practice. If you're, if you're using your broadheads. So I can't emphasize to people enough, you know, shoot with your broadheads. If you're, if, uh, if, if you step up to a high quality broadhead, like an iron wheel, you know, unless you just blow it into the backstop and you're not careful getting it out, it's, it's going to last you hundreds of shots. It'll make, it'll make you better. So, um, another question, Bill is, this is on the forum all the time. If you want to start a, uh, an argument on rock slide, just go into the archery forum 
and start a thread and say something along the lines of uh, my field points won't hit with my broadheads or my broadheads hit with my field points. Either one, get ready, get your popcorn. It's going to go on a hundred posts at least. Um, <laughs> that gets people fired up because there's a camp that says you can't get them to shoot together. You know, they're, they're, they're aerodynamically, they're two different objects are not going to fly through the air the same, regardless of the tune of your bow. And, and so there's always going to be some differences. And then there's the other camp that's like, oh, no, 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 I tune my bow and I can shoot from one yard to 100 yards and get the broadhead and the field point to, to hit. Some guys will even say the same hole. Um, I'm lucky to hit the same target at 100 yards, but but let's go into that a little bit, Bill. With with your with your mechanical engineering uh, background, you know, owning and and running one of the, the the most high quality broadhead companies out there. Where do you stand on that? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, a lot of companies say our broadheads fly like field points, um, and in reality, I mean, from an engineering standpoint, you know, I do fluid dynamic modeling, you know, computer modeling of fluid flow over our field points, our broadheads, veins, things like that. And then you can, I can look at like, you know, where's the pressure over it? What, what's, what are the resultant forces and how's this, how's this going to react? How much is it going to drag and slow down? Is it going to create some lift, things like that. And, you know, in, in reality, a broadhead doesn't fly like a field point, right? It's, I mean, the airflow over it's different, obviously a uh, field point shape versus broadhead blades i think what's probably more what people should say maybe more accurately is i can get my broadheads to hit with field points or hit you know close enough or within you know a couple inches of field points you know at distance and um i think that's true you can but it's also going to vary on the on the broadhead itself um you know designed our broadheads to try and minimize the drag force um across it <clears throat> And, um, and then I designed our field points to increase the drag a little bit, to be a little bit closer to, to broadheads. And, and I could say that I can shoot our field points and our broadheads, say the S series, V series, out to hundred yards and, and group together. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not the best shot either, but let's say I'm holding a, an eight inch group out there at hundred yards and I'm, I'm walking out there to pull my arrows. I can't tell which ones are field points and broadheads. Um, they just kind of all hit together. Um, right. I would say our wide heads are hitting typically two, three inches lower than than field points. Um, just with that bigger blade, there's there's some more drag on that. <clears throat> and I can tell you, I've shot other broadheads where in the design, there's just features to them where there's a higher pressure um, drop across them. And it's more when they have like flat back blades and surfaces or just the geometry overall just creates more drag in general. And then you can get quite a bit more drop uh, with, with some of those, but it's pretty geometry dependent. Um, I would say that this, this is getting a little bit, it's getting pretty technical, but there's also this um, as you're shooting and, you know, gravity's pulling it down and your arrows wanting to go straight. It's, there's always this little bit of a, angle of attack i would say where the broadhead is pointing a little up a little bit from the trajectory going down and it can create a little bit of lift from that so um that helps you out a, a little bit in broadheads but that's going to vary with with foc and um so we won't dig too much into that but there, there's some reasons why uh, even though a broadhead could have a little bit more drag why i can still hit with it 
but that that can also kind of depend on a person's tune. Let's say they're just a little bit tail high coming out of the bow, just a small amount. Um, well, that's going to make broadheads hit lower. And you might not see it at 40, but you probably will see it at, you know, 60, 80, 100. Mm -hmm. um, if you're a little bit tail low, um, the broadheads might actually hit a little bit high um, out there. And that might compensate a bit for the drag. And I'm not saying you should try to dial that in. I'm just saying it's, it's, I could see why one person has different results than another um, as far as how much drop distance, drop difference you get from field points to broadheads at distance. Yeah. And, and it's okay if, if you uh, nerd out, I already warned everybody, you're nerd extraordinaire <laughs> archery guy. So, but, but no, that's good stuff there, Bill. And, and, and I think that's why those, those arguments go on and on forever with no end uh, because of all the variability in components that can be in there and, and to get in there and ferret it all out. As you mentioned, you designed your field point to fly a little more like a broadhead and, and, and replicate that because they, they are two different objects, sized objects flying through the atmosphere. And you talked about angle of attack. I mean, that's a big thing for wings on an airplane. You know, that's, that's what it's all about. So, so, but it sounds like with a high quality component and good form, you should be able to expect your broadhead to hit with your field points, even at distance. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, it's reasonable to, to if you're getting results where you're hitting a couple inches low at hundred yards. Um, yeah, that I think that that can be totally normal, and you could also hit with them. And it's and, and if you're out of tune a little bit, just say let's just say it's fishtailing a little bit side to side. Well, the, that's going to create more drag on the, the broadhead and the field point, and it's going to make you hit a little bit lower. So that's where you might get into into some fine tuning. You know, I think. Most guys are uh, just shoot your paper, get what looks what looks good there, and, and call it good. And that's kind of a it's kind of a first level tune, and usually it's good enough um, to get broadheads to hit with field points. If you're trying to if you're trying to shoot broadheads with field points at 100 yards, you probably want to go to the next level. And and for me, that's um, I like to shoot a bare shaft versus versus a flat shaft just with field points at um, at 30 and 40 yards and i'll even add some like metal tape to the bear shaft to get the weights exactly the same um overall make up for the the missing veins yeah because that will affect the, like kind of the dynamic spine how much weight you have in back will affect that <clears throat> and so yeah so i'll get the two arrows weighing the same you know one with veins on it one with just some tape on the back and then shoot them at, at say 30 yards and if that arrow is um, coming straight out of your bow, the the fletch shaft and the bear shaft will hit together within within maybe an inch or so, and the shafts will be parallel. Um, if if it's not coming straight out of your bow, let's say it's coming out the, the shaft's coming out tail left, well the veins will correct that quickly and put it back straight. But the bear shaft it doesn't get corrected, mm -hmm. so it just stays a little bit tail left, and then that will make it hit to the right. And so what you'll see is maybe it's going to hit four inches right. And then the back of the shaft is, you know, angled tail left. You can kind of just see how it was coming out of the boat. And <clears throat> this is saying kind of a uniform foam target. If you hit shooting a bag target or something that you, that kicks your arrow at impact, the oh, angle yeah. Yeah. might not be right. But um, so I do it at 30 and 40. And then I actually, I actually test a lot of veins with my bow a little bit out of tune. My bow currently is is 
four inch, the bear shaft hits four inches, four to five inches right of the flex shaft at 40. So I know it's coming out a little bit tail left mm-hmm. and I actually use that with broadheads and different veins to see how well they stabilize. Um, with the right veins on the back, that's still good enough tune that the two hit together, even at 100 yards. So okay. if you get that dial perfectly straight, so your arrows come, arrows come in perfectly straight, you know, you're going to do, you know, even better for, for accuracy at distance. Um, if I understood you, though, you don't have to be uh, perfect, perfectly uh, hitting together with a bear shaft and a, a flat shaft at 40 yards. Uh, did I understand that? The, 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 the yeah, you don't have you don't have to be perfect and in <clears throat> 40 so you, you need to have, uh, this will also show you if your form's repeatable. And I would say people, you might even want to start at 20, but I think 30 is a good, a good distance because it, it just amplifies what's happening from 20, 30 to 40. Um, I think 30 is a good distance and, and, sh- and shoot those, you know, three or four times and see if you're consistently getting, all right, the bear shaft is hitting, say, three inches right um, of the flat shaft. Every time, you know, within an inch or so, it's always kind of angled tail left. See if it's consistent, because that'll tell you if your if your farm's consistent. If it's not, something's going something's going wrong there. Maybe your rest is is rebounding and clipping something. Maybe you're getting um, excessive face contact. Maybe your your grip is just inconsistent. Um, so that's that's a good way to kind of check out and see if your form is consistent. Another thing I'll mention is you can't have anybody do this for you because no. your grip matters a lot in this. I hear, I talk to um, a lot of customers. They'll say, well, oh, my archery shop tuned my bow when I bought it last year. So it should be good. Well, no. Um, and I see this completely with, with setting up the, a hooter shooter at the university testing that we're doing a little bit of difference in, in grip pressure. Um, changes the tune completely like i can have a bow that is just dialed in perfect for me and then put it on the hooter shooter and we got to totally you know retune the thing um it's not even close to being tuned with the hooter shooter grip compared to my grip and i see that from person to person um so anyway you definitely need to be the the shooter there and that's a good way to see okay am i being consistent with um with my grip but Anyway, I think that's a great test. If your bear shaft and flesh shaft are hitting together at 30, maybe even go to 40 to amplify a little bit more. But if they're if they're within a few inches, say at 40, uh, I'd say you're pretty you're you're great. Um that little bit of even if you're off a few inches, that little bit with the right vein on the back. And what the veins I found that work the best are um are veins that are about over a half inch tall. And we can go more into the study and the results there, but you know, a three fletch at um, two and a half, three degree helical with a higher vein, say 0. 0.55, 0. 0.58, something like that. Those do a great job of stabilizing a fixed blade broadhead um, and pulling it very quickly back on track so that, um, you know, it's going to hit where you're aiming downrange. Well, that, that's good stuff. And, and, you know, as you were talking about that, you know, we, we, we have our archery geeks, you know, our guys that, that, that live for bow hunting, they're, they shooting year round, you know, they dedicate a lot of time to it. And I, we all want to shoot like those guys. And I'm sure m- m- more of us could find more time to shoot if we really looked, looked for it. But I also know, man, guys are working hard. I mean, raising families, all that stuff. And 
part of why we started the cold bow, just get people to get their bow out a couple months earlier. I mean, that, that, that can be huge compared to, oh my gosh, it's August. I need to get ready. Um, you know, that was the old me and, uh, you know, a couple of weeks of practice at most and, and you're, you know, you're just barely getting in the groove and archery season's there and, you know, it's just not a good way to do it. But as you were talking, I was thinking, you know, is there a, a simple, quick list that guys kind of the most important things they, they could look at? Cause I still have a pro shop, uh, set up my bow, but then when, when we tune it, I'm there, I, I do all the shooting, all, all the paper tuning. And if, if I'm getting a pretty good hole, um, I, I, I've kind of learned to stop chasing perfect holes, get a perfect hole. And then I step out on the range and I start shooting 30, 40, 50, 60, 70. And, and, and I can just tell by how the, how, how my groups are, if, if the bow's shooting as good as I can and just about every bow out there can shoot better than I can. So the goal is just, you know, be able to match the bow, but it, are there listening to you it talks about, you're talking about, you know, get a decent hole. Sounds like we agree on that. The next step, you know, if a guy just wanted to maximize his arch, archery accuracy with a limited amount of time, is the next step just make sure you're going out with good components, a fletched arrow, and then shoot at that kind of 30, 40, 50. Is, is that your next step or is the bear shaft tuning your next step? Yeah, I'm, I'm typically bringing along a, a bear shaft, um, even, even as I'm shooting through paper. Um, I'll have... In, in the bear shaft, if I've already built up a dozen arrows and that's the new arrow that I, that I want to test or, or use this year, um, I'll just cut the veins off. It, I'll leave the base of the vein and just cut them off, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, 16th inch tall or something like that to leave some of the weight there. And then, like I said, I'll add, I'll take some of this like metal duct tape. You can get a hardware store, yep. just a yep. little strip behind that to balance the weight. <clears throat> and I'll just keep that with that set of arrows in that you know, arrow box or whatever for, um, forever. Cause I'm going to keep checking my tune with that later as well, but I'll shoot through paper with, um, you can shoot with a, a flat shaft through paper at say 12 feet or something, but I'll also shoot that bear shaft. Cause I can just get a little bit more, um, I can see a little closer with that, with that bear shaft, you know, it's just going to be a hole the size of your arrow if it's perfect. And you can see a little bit of tail, right, left, up or down, you know, with that there. And at this point, I'm trying to leave the rest at the nominal position. Um, and you can find out from your, you know, bow manufacturer, your archery shop, you know, what that should be. Um, the rest position out from the riser. And then I want to leave that there. And then it'll kind of depend on which bow you have. But I'm typically um, shimming, shimming cams to get that tune in um, there to where that's looking good. And again, you might have to consult your archery shop and to get that figured out. But... I don't really want to move the rest way in or way out at this point. I want to keep it the nominal, um, get it so I'm shooting a bullet hole. And then, <clears throat> I mean, if it's a new bow, I might just say, call that good enough and, you know, shoot a couple hundred arrows through it. But at some point I'm going to come back and the, the kind of the next steps on tuning are, I'm going to shoot that bear shaft versus a flat shaft at 30. Um, and then do small adjustments to the rest. Um, you know right left up or down and it's it's a small amount like we're talking about like you know probably not even a 16th of an inch just a small amount right and because you you can um you can move too far and start getting some wacky results there so it's very small movements um right left up or down until you can try and bring those arrows together and get them both hitting parallel that's kind of my tuning step and 
I'm also, um, you know, also in there, I might be shooting a, a broadhead versus a field point at out at 50 and see, are they already hitting together or not? And, you know, sometimes they are, even though it's a lot of tune, the veins are just doing a good job of, of correcting it. But, mm -hmm. um, yeah, that bear shaft is kind of my, my last step to making sure things are good. And then I'll check it frequently, especially if it's a new bow and you might be getting some string stretch, um, you know, over time you'll get, things will creep a little bit. So things under stress, you know, polymers under stress will stress relax and change a little bit. Um, and so, you know, some bows more than others, I've seen that, you know, the tune changes in a couple of months. Um, yes. For whatever reason. So I will continue to check, you know, I may be once a month or so, just shoot that bear shaft and flex shaft again at 30 and 40, see if the tune's looking good. Um, or if you you drop your bow or fall on it or whatever, that's that's a quick check for me to make sure that the bow is still shooting well. Um, yeah, and if that if that's looking good and and then your broadheads are still not flying well, then then there's probably something else wrong, and it could be your underspine. So you can kind of look at um, we have some charts on our website that we just made with all different total weights up front from 125 total to uh, 250 total. So you can kind of look at those to see if you're properly spined um, or you can use like pinwheel archers advantage, but there's not a lot that have, there's not a lot of charts out there that have the starting weight at say 175 up front or something that might be mm -hmm. more typical for a hunter, but um, mm -hmm. yeah, check to see if your spine properly. Um, you know, rest contact can be a problem too. And it, and some of these um, limb driven rests can rebound. Um, and that's something I, that's a problem I ran into last year. I was trying to figure out what was going on with a particular vein I was testing. It was very stiff. And then I, um, with some high speed camera work, I figured out, wow, the rest is rebounding enough. It's actually clipping this flange. And that's why that one vein I was testing was occasionally having, you know, being eight inches off at, you know, 50 yards. Um, was so, it showing up on the vein? Was it marking the vein? Yeah, it was, um, you know, that you can, you can sometimes just look on the vein and see it. Um, I've talked to some people that will put like lipstick on the rest and see if yeah. that's marking yeah. on the vein. Yeah. Um, or I've, I've used, uh, you know, the spray foot powder sometimes on the rest to see if I'm getting marks there, but. And the was, reason, the reason I asked that, cause you know, again, you know, just trying to give guys something to walk away with. Cause they're like, Oh, high speed camera equipment. Well, you know, Bill right. and Aaron have all that. What do I have? And I yeah. have just, I, I've just learned over the years, just look at my fletches. My fletches should stay pristine, you know, for over many, yeah. many shots. There shouldn't be any marks on them. As long as I don't drive them into the target. If there's marks, something's going on and your, your, your rest rebound, that that's almost always been what it is. And I've had, I've had uh, rest shoot fine for hundreds of arrows and then start rebounding. I don't know if a spring gets weak. I I, I don't know. Um, but man, can it mess up your, your groups? Yeah. And I've seen where the drop away rest that you snap up into place, um, those mechanisms can wear and they can start taking longer to drop over time. And eventually you can clip your flanges and, and that can drive you nuts too. Cause you, you don't notice what happened. It looks like it's down and in place, but what, what might've happened is that, well, it just started dropping away as the veins were passing through it. Um, and, and that can be kind of intermittent too. So yeah, I think checking your veins is, is a good I see. To... So it's not even necessarily rebounding. It just may not be dropping fast enough. Well, I've seen both problems with okay. different styles of rest. Yeah. 
Gotcha. Okay. So, so, so for guys that are, you know, trying to put their checklist together, um, get, get, get your, get your bow shooting a, a good hole with a bear shaft. And you said at about 12 feet. Yeah, I'm typically doing 12 feet. Um, you know, I know some people that like to do it at six feet and then 12 and 20. And, and I think you can, you can keep doing that stepping back. It's, I think the bear shaft is kind of doing the same thing. You're looking at a little bit further distance to try and amplify that tail right tail left thing but i'm generally doing that at about yeah 10 to 12 feet getting that pretty good um and then just going on shooting shooting a bow a bit make sure everything's kind of seated the strings maybe stretched a little bit if this is a new bow um before i i get a little finer detail of the bear shaft and if it's a bow that's you know you, you've already been shooting quite a bit you can go right from there to the the bear shaft versus flesh shaft at, at 30 and see what's happening there Gotcha. And then, and then once, and like you said earlier, they don't have to necessarily hit right exactly together, but if you're shooting into a foam target, that's not supposed to impact the angle of attack that your arrow finishes at, um, like a bag target will there or will whip around in it. As long as you're getting that, that bear shaft straight into the target and it's relatively close, couple inches from your, uh, fletched arrow at 30 yards, can can 95% of us call that good or do we need to keep going? You know, I would say that at 30 inches at 30 yards, if they're hitting um, say within an inch and a half, you know, with I think you're probably gonna be pretty good. Um I could say that uh my bow currently, that's about how how close they hit, and then at 40 yards, it's about four inches difference. And, um, I have left it there cause I'm testing a number of veins right now. And I, you know, I went hunting in Texas with it that way. Cause I know I'm actually still hitting together at hundred yards with that, with that much off. Um, I could say we just set up, um, a hooter shooter. At the What's a hooter shooter? I mean, dude, the hooters means a whole different thing to me. Oh, yeah. I keep hearing you say hooter shooter. I'm like, that'll get me thrown out of the restaurant. What's he talking about? <laughs> it's a shooting, it's a shooting machine. So you, <clears throat> Uh, it's one made by Spot Hog. There's some different brands out there, but it's basically you you put the bow in it. There's a grip on it. There's you you um, clip to it. You crank back the string. You know, put an arrow in it. Crank back the string. We we set it up with a laser on the bow in place of the sight, um, and we've got it sighted in. That laser dot is on for 40 yards. So <clears throat> the reason um, we're using this is I sponsored a project at the University of Colorado to study improved arrow vein design for bow hunting with fixed blade broadheads and we um so they we took a lot of data on uh like six of the top veins in the industry and then started testing some own some other prototype veins there and you know these um these are seniors in mechanical engineering there and they um you know none of them are archers or hunters so they're not going to be, be better to... yeah actually I kind of find that it is because they have they don't know anything and don't have any like preconceived notions of yeah. what's right or what's wrong. They're just um, you know they're just geeking out on all the science there. And we've got a, a really advanced computer uh, model, computational fluid dynamic model, where we've actually modeled all these different veins at a three degree helical with an iron wheel broadhead on the front of the arrow, and then we've got airflow going over it. And we've got either a straight arrow or the arrow tipped at um, five degrees, like saying you're a little bit out of tune, the arrow's coming off. And then we can look at 
the restoring force. How quickly does that pull it back in line there? How quickly does it spin up the arrow? Um, how much drag is there? How much sound? We can actually model the sound um, on the computer as well, like coming off of the veins. And, and then we're doing this empirical testing, you know, the, the testing um, on the shooting machine indoors at long distance. And then we're recording the sound. Um, we are we're using a high-speed camera to look at the way it's coming off the bow and how it's restoring. Also, how it's spinning up. We get that from the high-speed camera. We've got lab radar looking at the speed at the bow and then the speed all the way down range. So we can then look at how much drop we get. We can calculate the drag force from that. And then we can compare that to the model. Um, so I forget how, oh yeah. So what I started to say is we'll, we'll put the bow out of tune on the shooting machine. And the last testing we did, which is about two weeks ago, we had the bear shaft hitting nine inches right of the flat shaft at 40 yards. So this is pretty well out of tune. You can see it coming, nice speed camera. You can see it coming off the bow tail left and then getting corrected. Um, even with that far out of tune, we were seeing um, with the different veins we were testing, we were hitting anywhere from like one and a half to, to say three and a half inches um, difference between broadhead and field point um, at 40. So with the right vein, it even even corrects being you know really way out of tune, I would say. Um, but if you are, but yeah, to answer your question, if you're shooting at 30 and your bear shaft and flood shaft are consistently hitting within two inches, I mean, if they're hitting with, within say one, one and a half, that I think you're good. Your vein should do do the rest for you. Um, well, that, that's good to know because target. that, you know, that's pretty doable. You know, 30 yards, I, I can't even shoot at the same bullseye, right? You know, I'm, I'm breaking arrows. And, um, um, but, and I've never done bear, sh bear shaft tuning. You know, I just, I just didn't know the process. And like I said, you get on rock slide and read the process and you got to filter through all the arguments and don't do it this way and do it this way. Uh, but 30 yards, you know, if I, it sounds like if I just take one of my, uh, gold tip kinetic pierces, cut the veins off, leave the base, put a little piece of that HVAC metal tape around the back to keep my dynamic spine the same. Uh, or close to it, and then I I go to thirty yards. I know where my uh, my fletched is going to hit. I can put it, you know, in the the little white bullseye on a matrix target. It's I don't know what are they inch inch and a half. I I mean I can hit it almost every time at thirty yards, um, uh, and then just shoot my bear shaft too. Do do a couple of rounds of that, and if they're hitting within an inch and a half or so of each other, I'm good to go. It sounds like. But if they're not, then I'm I'm back to bow tuning. I'm back to moving the rest. Is that, is that where we were going with all that? Yeah, and I think you know the closer the better. And and you might see that hey, these shafts are like parallel to each other and and almost touching or within a half inch. I mean that's that'd be that'd be beautiful if you can okay. um, you know that then I know you're golden at that point. Um, but yeah, I think even within say inch inch and a half, you're probably in pretty good shape. Um, but yeah, if, if you're not, if it's off more than that, and you can see that, oh yeah, this bear shaft is tail right or tail left, then you're doing um, a small adjustment to the rest. So if you're coming off, um, if you're coming off tail right, you actually move your rest a little bit to the left, and and this is a very small amount. Um, it's going to kind of depend on the rest. You might have like like large hash marks that you can kind of see that you're going. From one to another, I might only move it a quarter of a hash mark on there, and mm -hmm. then, 
try and then try it again. Um, you're talking about the hash marks on the rest that, that seeing so on the rest itself. Way you're going. Yeah. 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 Or if, I mean, I'll actually use a, I'll, I'll look at the, those marks, but I'll also have a caliper and kind of measure like, where's my arrow sitting now off the riser and then move a little bit and measure with the caliper and, you know, write it down. Um, so I know like how much did I really move it? Um, you know, that, that's, that's maybe geek out more than people want to, but you know, small amounts of moving in or out. And I might only move it like, um, you know, maybe 20 thousandths of an inch at a time or something, 20, 30 thousandths and see if it got better, you know, or worse. And once in a while, I'll see with the right, left thing, it, it acts opposite of what you'd think. And I don't know if that's because there's a little bit of, of, of rebound. I think it depends on how long your rest is up. Is the arrows going through it? And is it, is it kind of a, a rebound effect of it's coming off, pushing hard right on that rest fork, and then it makes it kick back left. So I, once in a while, I'll see that right left thing will act the opposite of the way I would expect. So I would say start moving it one way or the other and just see if uh, if it's improving or not. Um, and then tail up and tail down. If it's coming out tail tail up, you know, then your rest, you need to move your rest, you know, up or your knock down to uh, get that arrow coming mm -hmm. straight off the bow there. Awesome. Well, there's there's some good stuff for people out there that have heard about bear bear shaft tuning. But you know, I know how a lot of you guys feel. It's like, hey, man, I want to shoot as well as I can, but man, we we just we just a lot of us just don't have the confidence to really tear into our bows and start moving crap and all that stuff, you know. And I've I'm I've 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 moved my bow around so much that I had to go back to the pro shop to get it back to where it belonged. But but sometimes it's just because I don't have really have a checklist on what what am I trying to do here. You know, I watch one you one youtube video and i think i'm gonna go change the world and all i really did was make it so uh my my arrow has to go back to the pro shop and need to pay the guy 30 bucks to get it back in tune and he's like what the heck did you do to this thing <laughs> oh i was moving my rest i was moving my <laughs> yeah. peep you know i was moving the site you know so anyways i just always like to give people you know a, a little bit of confidence a little bit of a takeaway and, and 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 man i've got some arrows right now that that need refletched i'm just gonna go uh just just uh, the, the fletches have all been damaged you know from hitting each other i'm just yeah. gonna go cut those off and then go go out to 30 yards because i've already done my paper hole and everything like that and by the way i'm shooting a new bow too and i i just looked on my counter i'm about 400 arrows in on my new bow uh matthew's phase four and uh i, I probably need to recheck that tune as well because you know, like what you said you know shooting a bow in string stretch stuff like that and uh but then i can step out to 30 yards check check that group next to my my fletched arrows and then i got something to go off of the Rockcast is powered by Onyx Hunt, and for good reason. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app in the industry. It's the exclusive app of many of the Rockslide staff, including myself. Some of the features of the Onyx Hunt app are nationwide public and private land boundaries, topographic and 3D maps, track your route, location, and elevation profile, waypoints, lines, and area shapes, save maps for offline use, and create custom map layers. While many of the competitors have similar features, I find one of the biggest benefits in using the Onyx Hunt app is that my friends have it. Nothing more painful than trying to share a waypoint with someone who doesn't have the app. Another thing I've noticed with Onyx, it's pretty much glitch free. Once you learn how to use the app, you will experience very few, if any, glitches in the app. We find on the Rockslide forum, the guys that are having glitches with Onyx or any of the apps, they just don't know how to use it. Once you learn how to use Onyx, 
it will be there for you. Some of the member benefits you get with being with Onyx are top rut draws. They just added that in 2023. Top rut provides some of the most comprehensive draw odds information in the industry. Onyx is also offering constant upgrades like track trim. When they released that last summer, it really cleaned up my app because I was the guy that would go back to camp with my app on and walk around camp for two hours. And then when I would notice my track, it had these big scribble lines in it. Now you can trim that off. They're constantly offering similar upgrades. So if you're ready to make the jump, head over to onxmaps.com, use the Rockcast promo code, Rockcast, R-O-K-C-A-S-T, save yourself 20%. Yeah, and, and like I said, keep that keep that bear shaft and and check it. I'll check it, you know, through hunting season when I'm when I'm yeah. taking off on the next hunt. That that gives me the confidence that okay, my bow is is still in tune here. And you know, to, I'm crawling across the ground, push you know, pushing my bow in front of me on stalks and or going through thick brush. It's I do a you know, my bow sees some abuse and it always makes me worried. Did I yep. mess anything up or, you know, sitting in a heavy rain for three days and wonder if, you know, soaking that string that much, yep. did that change anything there? Anyway, I think it's a great check going forward just to make sure your, your bow's in tune. And I can tell you, I've had bows where I had to retune every two months. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, also, mm-hmm. I've also had bows where uh, a year later and that thing is still just dialed dead nuts in. So, Dude, dude me too. Me too. I have been... You know, for the amount of um, amount of miles my bow goes on a horse every year, it, I, I have been pretty fortunate. I've only ever had, ever had one bow failure in the backcountry, and um, we were actually had to come out and get another bow. But I've been amazed at how how well and this you know I haven't owned a bunch of bows, maybe three or four different ones. That how well they've they've stayed in tune you know, ver- versus the abuse that they get. And, and it sounds like I've just been lucky because like you said, some, you've had some bows, you know, after two months they're out of tune, but I've been amazed at, you know, picking up a bow that you know, I've been shooting for a year and I go shoot it through paper and it's, it's still shooting great. Uh, it, the, the groups haven't changed. It's, it, it's pretty cool. But the main thing I guess to take away is, is shoot your bow people, shoot your bow a lot, shoot your bow year round. Uh, that, that, that's, what's really going to help you detect, uh, things that are going on, like what we talked about here today. And, uh, we owe it to the animals, uh, it, and it'll, it'll really improve your confidence too. Just, just knowing that, that you're ready all the time. So back to your project with the university of Colorado bill. So, so you've sponsored that project. You're working, you're working with their engineering department. Sounds like you got some, some, some excellent, uh, research going on there. and. Um, I know I keep talking about your broadheads. You guys sell more than just broadheads. You've you've gone to a custom built arrow now. Yeah, we have. And uh, the university project. So I've been an adjunct instructor of mechanical engineering there for about eight years now, just in their senior design project class. I'm one of the faculty directors there. And this this past year, um, I decided to sponsor a project. And, you know, part of the reason for this is I feel pretty strongly that uh, a sharp, durable, fixed blade broadhead is a better choice for um, for bow hunting in general versus mechanical. Just a lot less chance of failure. Um, 
it's uh you know we can get into all the different failure modes with the mechanical well, um, let me jump in there real quick for people that aren't familiar with with an iron wheel broadhead we're kind of assuming a lot here uh, an iron wheel broadhead uh i think all the ones you sell they're all a a, a two blade uh head with a with a bleeder is that correct yeah we have them with and without bleeders but yeah primarily it's a two blade head with a bleeder um and it's a you know it's a premium a2 tool steel um it, so it's very very tough very strong on impact but yet yeah, can get very hard so it's very sharp retains that edge and slices all the way through and i've just for many years of development i found you know that that works really well to penetrate hide bone tissue stay sharp slice everything all the way through get you the exit hole um you know make it through really the heaviest of bone from what i've seen um and you know get you success on an animal so i i feel pretty strongly that um man this this can really help a lot of people have a successful shot um versus a failure on some on some impacts that aren't going to be perfect um but yet with a fixed blade broadhead as you mentioned it's they're harder to get to fly well at distance so i think people um but I've, I've totally found that with the right, you know, with a tuned bow, the right arrow setup, the right veins on the back, it works really well. But I wanted to sponsor this project to get, um, you know, really an independent university study showing that how fixed blade heads can can steer um, or how different veins can steer fixed blade broadheads and really get dig into the science and really get a lot of data behind it. And so throughout this study, um, we we saw from like six of the top industry veins, what features on them were doing good things and bad things really. And then um, we tested some different materials, different designs. And the result from the study was we we um, used a, um, well, this hybrid, the Max Hunter profile, if you're familiar with the Max Hunter from AAE, I had That's them make it different materials. And uh, we found in their hybrid material that that vein really did the best job of Overall, if we looked at accuracy, stability, drag, wind drift, and sound, um, it had the same kind of accuracy, stability as the Max Hunter, which was excellent, but it had a little less sound, a little less drag, a little less wind drift. So we actually decided um, we wanted to put that on an arrow and offer it to our customers. We could just say, hey, just use this arrow. It's going to make your fixed blade broadheads fly really well. So. I work okay, with so, so basically you're you're now not just selling a broadhead you're selling a whole system where if people don't want to mess with it don't want to put their arrows together don't want to worry about cutting them square all the others fletching them my goodness i always want to fletch my arrows until it's time to fletch them and then it's like takes me a week to get to it um so you're a, i'm able to just order those from you and they're optimized to shoot your broadhead as well as possible am i, am I following yeah. all that yeah, that's right. And if you just want to, if you like fletching your own arrows, we're just going to sell the, we just sell the veins also, these um, Iron Wheel Hybrid Hunter veins. If you want to have a fletch shaft, start with a fletch shaft, um, you know, we're fletched at three degree, three degree helical with these Iron Wheel Hybrid Hunter veins on a axis or match grade axis shafts. You can buy that if you want to cut square, finish them, install inserts yourself, or we're doing the complete job where we're actually, actually have a machinist in a machining center setting up on each arrow shaft and very precisely cutting and squaring both ends so that you get you know having a very square um end of your arrow especially at the knock end you know then that then that all that force from the string through the knock 
um, uniformly pushes on the shaft so that each one's going to flex um, similarly versus one where you might have a high side and a low side of that, you know, back end of that arrow and, you know, push more on one side of the other. And it might change how that arrow flexes compared to the next and impacts. So, and for people that don't understand stand what he's talking about, a lot of times when you go to 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 a pro shop, if they're not careful when they cut your arrows, so you know maybe you shoot a twenty nine inch arrow and they're cutting it from a uh, a stock shaft that's longer, if they're not careful in how they cut that, the 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 carbon can flex during the cutting process, and you can end up not having a square end on the arrow. And it's more common than you think. I used to not worry about it until I really started pulling some arrows knocks out of arrows and really looking at it and some of them you could just visibly see man that thing is not even square so if your your initial contact with your string is not square it doesn't matter what else you do your first step was wrong and and that's why why square shafts are so important yeah i think i don't think a lot of people realize that and especially if you're cutting the shaft from eat from each end um in, a, in an archery shop and it can vary by, I mean, I'm sure archery, some archery shops do a nice job and they kind of feed it in slowly and rotate it and try and make it as square as possible. And then maybe even take a squaring tool to it. But I can tell you a lot of shops that I've seen, um, somebody's just swinging those arrows in as quick as he can. So then you're cutting it an arc and it's flexing the arrow and they can be way off. Um, and then even if you take the you know, there'll be this little arrow tool that's, you know, three, four inches long. And if you put it in there and just rotate a couple of times, you didn't really do anything. It takes quite a yep. bit. It takes quite a bit to, to make that back square again, when it's not, when it's coming off, um, irregular or at, you know, some arc cut there. So each of your arrows are, are squared. Yeah. So we said, if you want completely custom built, um, you tell us what length you want, we'll cut them and square them precisely on from both ends and then install our components and you'll get them, you know, ready to shoot basically. Okay. And so, um, uh, the, the, burning question, do, do, do I have to skip a truck payment to buy the arrows? <laughs> so the arrows, uh, just the flat shafts. Um, I think our pricing is one eighty nine for a dozen. So that's pretty comparable. If you look out there to see what yeah, it is, what, what flat shafts are going for. Um, if, if we're going to build them for you, we charge 90 bucks a dozen for this, you know, machinist to cut and square both ends, install all the components. So um, what's that? Like 750 an arrow or something like that. So if, if you want to save that cost yourself, I'd say, yeah, get an, get an arrow saw, do your best job of cutting and then spend a lot of time squaring. Take a, you know, take a little paint marker, maybe like a silver paint marker, mark the end. And then square until that all that's gone, um, and and you know it's square. That's a way you can you can save that money. But if you just want us to precisely build uh, a dozen for you, um, that's that's the added cost for us to finish them. And then it's our our component costs um, added to that. You know, we make I license the the hit insert technology, the patent from Easton. So I make higher strength hit inserts in either titanium or um, hardened steel. Yeah. I tell Tony Treats just reviewed those here for us this spring. Yeah, on website, yeah. right? That was that system. Anybody yeah. I really that? like that system because then your broadhead, um, you build the strength down into your arrow really, and your broadhead aligns, the shank, your broadhead aligns right to the ID of the arrow. So it's going to 
spin true. Um, and then we reinforce it with an impact collar over the outside of it um, in either hardened steel or titanium. And you can get from 25 grain total to uh, 125 grain in that system, depending on which hit insert you choose. And if you're choosing hardened steel or titanium, but that is, is so much better than a half out or an outsert for making sure your broadhead spins true. You know, half out or outsert, you just have a lot more tolerances there. And they um and they bend so much easier because of that kind of longer lever arm. Um and often just people shooting them in, you know, 3D targets um over and over, you get some bend there. And yeah. I, I would say it's important to get a, an arrow spinner and every arrow that you're gonna hunt with, put the broadhead on it, spin it, make sure that tip of that broadhead is just staying right where it should be and not wobbling back and forth as you spin that that arrow around. I'm with you all the way. I have uh, been amazed. I mean, I shoot a high quality uh, gold tip arrow. Um, you know, I shot their platinum for for a long time, and I, I stepped back down one step to just their kinetic pierce. And um, yeah, arrow's been great, but the spinner. I've noticed that I'll, I'll pull an arrow that I mean, I've shot a couple, you know, I shoot a few thousand arrows a year. So, you know, one arrow, you know, out of a dozen may have, you know, a hundred shots on it. I'll throw it on the spinner and it's wobbling and seven times out of 10, it's, it's in the outsert. It's in, it's in, it's in, it, 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 it is bent. And I'm, you know, and if, if I, if I hit the ground or I hit a backstop, I immediately check that arrow. But a lot of times this is just repeated arrows in, into the targets. You know, maybe I'm not pulling them out right, or maybe I hit a piece of uh, rebar in there and didn't know it, but, but yeah, you can have an arrow that's, that's just shooting terrible. And you don't realize it until you you just think it's oh I'm a bad group or bad form you know whatever throw it on the spinner and it's like oh man this thing is bent. Yeah, I'd say you know from talking to customers, I don't think there's a half out um, out there that doesn't doesn't bend. Um, steel are better than aluminum. Um, aluminum is just it's it's not good material for impact. I don't think if on a hunting arrow there should be any aluminum in, in there, not the insert collar, the ferrule. Uh, nothing um is that what's on the gold tip are those aluminum um i'm pretty sure they are if it's just um, they look like it yeah and you know i don't want to bash gold tip i don't think there's a an arrow you can get these days with the components that come with it if they're half outs that isn't going to bend on on impact to some amount mm -hmm, um, right and by yeah. half out, you mean you mean that part of part of the arrow seats in the shaft, or part of excuse me, the insert seats in the shaft, and part seats seats out. Is that what you mean by half out? Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. Like kind of like half the insert is in the in the shaft, and half of it's kind of out in front. And then when you screw your broadhead into it, um, so you're shooting micro diameter sounds like so that yeah. that entire two, three. Yeah. So that the the standard threads on a broadhead are larger than the idea of that arrow. So yes. that whole broadhead has to sit out in front. So okay. The, um so they'll use a half out um you I know, see what you mean. You know technically I call an outsert one that just goes over the shaft, doesn't go inside at all. And then I call a half out one that's like half in the shaft, but the entire broadhead gets mounted out in front. So it's actually sitting um you know an inch further out on the arrow than it would be if you used a hit insert where it's all the way down in in the arrow. And and for a micro, um, you can't use the standard, as I mentioned. We sell either deep six or Snyder core versions of our broadheads where that shank goes down inside of the micro. So you're still building a strength down in. And that takes a side impact way better. Um, 
Mm -hmm. that built down into the arrow um the carbon can flex a little bit and you can take a hard side impact and still have that arrow spin through afterwards but if you take a hard side impact on half water outsert even the steel because typically they're not hardened steel they're like a a 302 303 stainless which isn't um you can get steel that's you know three times stronger if you harden it um mm -hmm. But typically the steel ones are, are still bending with that lever arm and that side impact. Um, it just amplifies the the amount of bending because of where that broadhead is way out in front of the shaft. Okay. So, well, and, and you know, I'm re revealing some of my ignorance in archery here, but that's, that's, what's good about these, these conversations with guys like you. So with your new arrows that you're building, they're not a micro diameter. Um, the ones we're currently offering are, are a five millimeter or a 204 ID. 204. Okay. So, so they are then. Yeah. So we worked with uh, Easton to use the axis shafts and then machine fletch for a repeatable, you know, vein angle on each one. Um, I see so much variation too. If people, you know, from one bow shop to another, if you say I want a two and a half or three degree helical, um, a lot of <laughs> our shops around here will say, okay. And then they'll give you, you know, whatever they're, whatever they got, <laughs> whatever the bits of burgers are set up to, you know, they're not, gonna, they don't want to change them. Um, and, you know, often it's like one degree. Some of them are straight fletching. Um, and then some of them, if they do try and kind of dial it for you, it, um, it, you might get three degree this time and, you know, one and a half the next time. Um, and, and I'm sure there's shops out there that are, that would get pissed off from me saying that. And I know there's some great shops and good guys out there and there's some good shops around here too. I'm just telling you my experience before I, uh, Fletched my own, just hitting the different archery shops um, in the area and what, what I would see personally. So I think that's why I started fletching my own shafts, you know, 20 years ago. Um, but I, I think this is a way that you can know you're getting the same vein angle every time um, as well. Um, you, you can also do it yourself and set up your jigs and just leave, you know, leave it there and get a consistent angle that way, too. All right. So, um, and, and, and on shops too, I, I'm, I'm kind of with you, you know, you know, my dad said for years, if you, if, if you want to do something right, you got to do it yourself. And, and I, and, and he's right, but man, you know, I've been running three companies since I was 28 years old, you know, time is at a premium. I'm pretty lucky. We've, we've had two shops here, um, both of them with owners, same owners, you know, 15, one of them, 30 years. That's the one I'm going to now. He works on your bow or he's right there with your bow you know, I'm, I'm lucky, but the average shop that's out there, I mean, they're just giving the customers all they're asking for. Like, you know, a lot, a lot of customers, are, they're not having these high level conversations like what we are. They just need an arrow. And so the shop's going to deliver. Of course, they're not going to worry about, you know, what degree helico and, you know, whether the end is cut just perfectly because, you know, they're talking to a guy that never picks up his bow until a week before the season. I can't even blame them. But, you know, if you, if you go to a shop, if you need to use a shop, they're not all created equal. Just ask a lot of questions and, you know, and, and if, you know, if they're, if they've just, they've got a churn of employees coming through there, it's a different guy every day working on your bow. Yeah, there may be some problems, but you know, I would, I'm with Bill. I would never want to say that, that shops are, are not good. I've, I've used one for years and, and, and you can get good help in them, but, but you kind of have to look for it and, and, and demand it. And, and, and by demanding, I mean, just the more questions you ask, the more they're going to read their customer and go, okay, this guy's expecting a lot here. You know, if you don't ask them to square your arrows, they're not going to worry about it. 
you know, but if you ask them to, they'll, a lot of them, if they won't, you don't want to go there. But if, if they will, if they'll take that extra time, then, then, then you can get a good shot. Cause you know, that, that's the thing, Bill, we'd all love to be working on bows like you and doing that stuff. I mean, I got friends, that's all they do and everything, but man, I, I, I have time to shoot. That's, that's what I have time to do. And that's why I had so many of these, these questions today about this stuff, you know, cause I, I got to get the most for the least. Yeah. You know, I've been there when I moved to Colorado, I had, my kids were one, two, and three, and I was working for a startup company, long hours, and I didn't have a lot of time. And that's why I was having others, you know, build and fletch my arrows. Um, and there was, at the time, there was a, a shop here in uh, Fort Collins, aerodynamics, uh, Jim, the guy there, um, man, he was great. And he, you know, he's got me started in doing the three degree helical and I could just trust him to build my arrows the same every time. And that was golden. But, um, yeah, when he he sold the shop, moved away, and I started checking out the other shops, I, I realized they're not all equal. Um, but you know, some are great. And and I would also say, you know, if you want them to do more than normal, you should probably offer paying for it. Like you get you are, yes, definitely. Right? <laughs> if, if you want to, if you want them to spend two hours with you dialing your bow in, um, especially if you didn't buy it there, you know, just you know, tell them what you want them to do and, and ask if you know. So you're willing to pay them for it and uh, and see what it's going to cost you. Because I would say that, yeah, a lot of shops, they don't they don't have two hours to spend with a guy that just walk, carries his bow in and and wants help tuning it. You know, maybe they didn't even maybe you haven't even bought anything there yet. So I would say that, you know, don't they got to make they got to make a living there. They got to make money and, and pay for their employees. So I, you know, I understand why they don't want to spend a lot of time with with people. But um, if you want to do more than normal, um, you know, first off, you might have to assess can they do they are they knowledgeable can they do all this stuff for you or not um and then yeah you probably want to pay them for whatever you know pay them by the hour to help you tune or whatever i would say I, i'm glad you brought that up i just kind of, of assumed that because i've been using the same guy for a long time the bow i bought this year the matthews phase four this guy's not a matthews dealer i called him first said hey can, can i get one through you he said I, I can't and i said okay well I, i'm gonna hire you to work on it and um i i bought bought mine directly through matthews and then took it to him i think he charges 25 or 30 bucks just just to set your bow up install your peep that kind of stuff um but um i i ended up paying him about 50 60 bucks because i spent you know probably 45 more minutes with him after he set the bow up and and you know he didn't even want the money he's like no it's okay and i'm like no no i i, I don't want you're doing a lot here i'm asking for high level stuff i want to pay for it because I'm, I'm just glad you said that because i think i see other guys in there sometimes you know they're they're nickel and diamond them all the time and it's like hey if you want high level help you it's it's, it's you're, you're just like hiring a coach for anything. Um, you, 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 they, you can't just let them feel like you're, you're just there to take, take, take. If you buy a bow, yeah, you can expect a little bit more from them. You know, they, they, they they'll help you more, but, right. but make sure that they always feel like, yeah, this guy's not just nickel and diamond me. He wants some high level help and you'll get it. That's I've had, I've only had two archery shops in the last 20 years and, and I've operated under that right there. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to pay you, pay you for what you're worth. And, and, and it's been a good relationship. Relationship. So I'm glad you brought that up, Bill. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd say just talk to him a bit, you know, maybe try and figure out, I, I, you know, me personally, I might do a technical assessment, but I don't know if everybody can do this. But if, if talk to him about what you want to have done and see if they're like, oh, yeah, we can do all that. And then say, hey, you know, can I pay you by the hour to, to work to help me here? And yeah, that's that's what I would do. Yeah, yeah just ask questions. You'll, you'll get a good feel for it. Um, 
So back onto your to, to your arrows, though. I'm, I, I I probably will order a dozen from you, Bill. I really really do. do they only come in dozens, or can you order half a dozen? Um, you can you can order half a dozen of the okay. custom built. Yeah. Okay, on the on the full custom built. So what do you need from me? Just my carbon to carbon length, and then you can then I can order. Yeah, which which spine you want, and then um, carbon to carbon length, and um, and yeah, we can. And anybody that's out there wanted wanted to do this, we got arrow we've got arrow charts on our website on the on our arrow build page. It'll where you can look at your total weight you want up front. Um, if you have no idea what you want to do, I'd say check the charts for like 150 grains total up front and 175 total up front. Well, I'm uh, shooting about 15, 16 percent FOC. I get good flight there. I've been been happy with the few animals I've killed with penetration with that. Um, if if I if I just wanted to go with one of your arrows. And can I go with the same FOC and everything I am on my gold tip, or is it a whole new animal? Are we starting starting over? How do we do that? Yeah, the FOC may may be a little different depending on what your um you know your arrow weight is in, in grains per inch. But our charts will show all that. Let's say, do you know what your total weight up front is right now? Let's you know let's say my it's total, one, I have thirty grains added up front, and then your hundred grain. Uh, I, I'm right now. I'm shooting a sever, but when I shoot a uh, a, uh, a fixed blade, I shoot yours. So and they're both one hundred grains. So what's that? One hundred and thirty. But the, I don't know what my outsert is in my collar. But okay. but I do know when I've ran the math, I've been like 15, 16% FOC. Yeah. So, um, and that's on a 300 grain arrow or 300 spine arrow. 300 spine. Okay. About 455 grain total. Okay. Yeah. And right in that chart, we can look for your draw length and the, and the arrow length. Um, you know, what, what would be the correct spine? And then right in that block also, it, it'll show you total arrow weight and, uh, and FOC right in there. So we can, um, you know, maybe after this, we can jump on the, I can pull up the chart for you and we can walk through that and just tell you what you'd be at with different, different amounts of weight up front. And we could figure out what you, what you want. And anybody else who wants to do that too, and they want some help, they can call our customer service. Uh, Bailey cloud is, uh, is our main, um, tech support person there. And she does a great job. She's a competitive archer is a bow hunter with both trad and compound. Um, and yeah, she does a great job of helping people with their with their arrow setup needs there and can pick the best setup for you. Good deal. What if you had my arrow? Would that make a difference? If I had your arrow? Yeah. Um, you could tell me what so what I need to know, I think you've already told me the I guess all I would really know need to know is what's your what's your draw length, bow poundage, um, and then which what's the arrow length you want. And if you want to I kind of need to know your minimum arrow length. Um, kind of the best way to do that is, well, we could use your current arrow length that you know works. Um, otherwise, you could draw your bow back with a arrow in it, have somebody mark it just in front of the rest, say uh, eighth inch to a quarter inch in front of the rest. And then we would add um, our impact collar length because our collar goes over the arrow shaft and you don't want that to get pulled up onto your rest. You want that to sit out in front of your I rest. See, I see um, what you mean. It's going to be yeah. different because I, I've got a, 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 the part of my broadhead is down inside the arrow and part of it is in front, right? Right, right. Gotcha. So it's best to kind of know your minimum arrow length by say draw back, mark your arrow just eighth inch, quarter inch in front of your rest, add the impact collar length, which is 0.7 if you're using our titanium or one inch 
you're going to use a hardened steel. And then we would know the your arrow length. Um, and then from that and your bow poundage, you know, on our charts there, we'll look and see what's the proper spine for you um, with, with say, 150 total up front or 175 total up front. Run those two by you. You know, it might be, okay, we can be at 450 grains total, 150 grains up front, or we might be at, um, you know, 500 grains total. Um, and it might push you from, you know, a two, 300 spine to a 260 if you want to add more up front. But we can just kind of go through. These are the different arrow options we'd have for you. Your total arrow weight, your FOC. Um, so, yeah, that, that's the way we go about figuring it out. Okay, that, that that sounds good. My my, I I don't like getting much heavier than what I am. I used to shoot four hundred grain. I only hunt deer, and that's why I don't hunt elk. And so, um, four fifty has been a good trade off with trajectory, um, you know, versus yeah. kinetic energy. That's kind of why I've settled on that. I'm not saying I wouldn't shoot a five hundred grain arrow, but um, I I when I put it this way, when I when I went up fifty grains. It, 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 I had to really play with my sight picture and everything because of the arc of the arrow and my 60 yard pin on this, um, Matthews it's, it's right down on my bubble. In fact, I need to play with it a little bit more and get it off of my bubble. And so anyway, so we don't need to go on and on, but I, I just wanted to kind of show people some of the stuff that, that you can take into consideration for somebody that wanted to switch over to your arrows. And and I think I do bill. And, and, and just so people know, even though Bill's a sponsor, I, I just pay for the arrows. Um, uh, happy to do it. Happy to support a great company, Bill. If you're watching breaking the slump film, that'll be out tonight. Uh, yeah, Bill was a sponsor on there. We, we always help each other out and everything. Thing. I'm, a, I'm a big proponent of iron wheel outfitters and um, if i end up shooting their arrows i'll report back to you guys on the podcast um one other one other subject i wanted to cover before we wrap up um you had mentioned your new wide single bevel broadheads those are launching uh I, today is what may 17th uh they're they're launching within the next few days right yeah it was just launched yesterday actually so yeah, our, our single bevel broadheads have been very popular the last couple of years here. And as soon as we started making them, people were asking for a, a wider version of them. Um, and the thing you get with single bevel is that it creates some rotation through the animal. So that can, rather than having just perfect slices, you know, cross slice, say, going in, it has, you know, more of a, a square or, or rounder hole as that's rotating going through. So anyway, our single bevels being have been very popular we just came out with a wide version so it's an inch and three eighths wide main blade three quarter inch wide bleeder um for two and an eighth inch total cut and um our bleeders have the single bevel grind also on them and what that does is is all the pressures on that bevel as it enters the animal and that that creates a force which which makes it rotate through there so um where yeah. most arrows are a double bevel or most broadheads are a double bevel so there there's no twist once it hits the animal correct correct there's kind of equal pressure on both bevels so it those will typically stop rotation so your arrow's rotating or you should be rotating anyways if you have some angle to your veins um and so at impact typically a double bevel the pressure on equal pressure on both sides of the bevel will just make it stop rotating and just drive straight through um, the animal which you know which works well penetrates great um but in this case that rotation will continue through the animal with a single bevel and it can do a little bit more trauma throughout and you know that's you know which is better man they both work really well but i would say that a lot of people are excited about single bevels the last few years and, and what they do and how they 
you know, split bone apart, stuff like that. Um, you have so all that on your YouTube channel from your hog hunt last spring, right? When you were testing that stuff? We do. Yeah. You can check out single bevel um, videos on our YouTube channel from, it shows like a, a deer impact and how the arrow keeps rotating through that deer. We got that with a, a high speed video with phantom high speed camera at like a 30 yard shot. We could still see though the arrow, you know, slowly rotating all the way through that that animal. Um, we also did a, a hog hunt where we had kind of the results of single bubbles there. So there's a few videos on that on our Is website. Is there any trade-off in 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 rotation versus penetration? Like the more you rotate, do you, do you do you lose some penetration or is that negligible? Yeah, that was my concern. And I played around a bit with uh the bevel angle to the point where I wanted to get it um strong enough um and get get some rotation, not not necessarily a lot and I, that's what i was worried that that torque kind of required to rotate would would reduce penetration um even though you know others say it increases penetration but what i've what i've found in practice is that um they penetrate really well and i think you've got that kind of rotational momentum of the arrow already kind of providing some of that some of that torque so it doesn't seem to kind of miss a beat there it seems to just zip right through um animals really well with the with the angle and the, and the design we have right now gotcha and and on your on your wide designation how wide are they yeah they're inch and three-eighths wide uh main blade and a three-quarter inch wide bleeder and you can do get it with and without the bleeder but you know that's a two and an eighth inch total cut for guys that are wanting um if you're shooting a mechanical to, to get a bigger hole for instance on say a white-tailed deer or bear or really or elk any really anything where your shots are going to be say maybe 50 yards and under and and you know some people will shoot these longer just fine i can shoot our our wide heads to i can keep them in the 18 inch target at 100 yards but i just know they're not as forgiving and so that's why i say it's it's not really a long range head with the blade that big it's going to be less forgiving but for those um closer <laughs> shots man it'll i shot through a hog right through the um a big a pretty good sized bore right through the knuckle. It was probably two and a half inches of solid bone. And that, that wide solid or that wide single bevel head with a solid blade cut through there like nothing. And, um, and the head looked like brand new afterwards. It was still pretty sharp. So they cut through bone. I don't know why you'd want to shoot a mechanical, you know, if a mechanical hit that spot, I could tell you all the ones I've tested mm -hmm. would have snapped the furrow, right? Would have snapped the furrow right off and the blades would have been destroyed so you know it opens up shot opportunities whether it's you hit heavy part of the shoulder bone um or just the spine things like that it's gonna it's gonna make it through where a mechanical wouldn't yeah i will never argue with you on a uh durability um uh, repeatability um confidence of shooting a, a good fixed blade into an animal versus a mechanical but in for full disclosure i'm i'm shooting a sever right now because of some of the things we talked about on this podcast is that I I'm not the greatest archer and they've given me a little more margin for error in, in, in my shooting form. And I've tested them. I've tested them right alongside yours. And, and, and that's why I can confidently say an iron will broadhead sh shoots awesome, but for my form and how I shoot, I've been able to get a little bit better. We're talking maybe a few inch smaller group at, you know, 40, 50, somewhere in there, but, but that's on me. I mean, I, I know what that is, uh, but, but, but that's why I'm with a mechanical right now. And that, that's my next question is, 
So when does the uh, Iron Will Mechanical Broadhead come out? <laughs> <laughs> I know you hate that, Bill. <laughs> I get asked that a lot. But um, you know, one you thing do. I would say is that if if um, if you shoot in a mechanical different than an Iron Will, it means there's there's some problem there that the mechanical is just kind of covering up. Yep. You still have you still have the problem. It's still I robbing agree. you. It's still robbing you energy and and accuracy to a, a, a smaller extent, but some energy too. It means so it might mean your bow, your arrows fishtailing a bit come out of your bow, and so it's going to slow down and drop more and have less energy than it should. And mm -hmm. you couple that with a mechanical at distance. Now you've got a lot less energy because say it was either fishtail side to side, or maybe it was flexing more than it should have. And that, and that was causing the fixed head to not hit as well. Either of those, the arrow's not going to be as straight when it goes into the animal and it's going to have less momentum when it gets there. And now you've got a mechanical that takes a lot more force to penetrate. So it's, yep. you're way better off fixing those problems than shooting a fixed head. I would say. Oh, I, um, I, I would never argue against that. It's just like, <laughs> like, well, the, kind of the whole theme of this podcast. At the end of the day, how much time do you have to, to keep screwing around with stuff? You'll see me shooting iron wheels, guaranteed. Um, but the reason so many people ask you about shooting, a, a building an iron wheel mechanical, because there's, it's a compliment. There's nobody out there better to build a mechanical than you. So, 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 so don't just throw it in the, in the round file. Think about it. Uh, there's a huge demand for them. A lot of guys are going to shoot them. I think as long as they're legal, uh, the, the main reason I started shooting them the last couple of years is just because Idaho made them legal that I think there's always going to be a demand for them, but yeah, you, you've made the case, not just on this podcast, but on rock slide over the years for the advantages of a fixed blade broadhead. And, uh, that's why I gave you the space on the podcast today. And I can tell everybody sponsor or not. Uh, iron wheel uh, broadheads they're 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 pretty awesome i've tested them they shoot great they're tough uh th they're probably going to save you money in the long run especially if you're a really serious archer and you practice with broadheads a lot uh so um as we get to the end here bill i want to make sure people can find you um instagram it's iron wheel outfitters correct uh yes it is and that's our website also all right and that's your and that's your website iron wheel outfitters uh, is your youtube channel also iron wheel outfitters yeah. Yes, it is. Yep. Gotcha. Gotcha. And then if you, uh, for you Rockslide members, I know there's a bunch of you that listen to the podcast. Bill is active on the forum. You'll see him on there on Rockslide. You can tag uh, him. If you've got any questions, uh, you, um, it's just Bill V. Bill V, just just the at sign Bill V. Uh, you can tag him in a post or you can send him a PM. He's very helpful on there. I've learned a lot uh, reading his posts and, and watching him shoot. Uh, just, just a great resource to have you on there, Bill. We sure appreciate it. Yeah, you bet. And I, I posted a thread on there about the new single bubbles. I also posted a thread about our, our arrows and the university studies. So feel free to jump on those and ask questions if you want, or, you know, just call our customer service too. We've got great tech support. And if you really want to talk to me about something, um, you know, let Bailey know and, and I'll try and give you a call back sometime. Okay, that sounds good, and I'm uh, I'm gonna go I'm gonna uh, get a measurement on that arrow, and um, uh, I'm gonna get a half a dozen or a dozen coming from you, and I'm I'm gonna give them a shot this summer. I'm pretty excited to try them. Yeah, looking forward to having you do that, and let me know what you think. Okay, Bill, thanks for everything, man. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for having me on, Robbie. Take care.